Well, hey there, fellow streakers. How are you doing today? Jamie and I are excited to join you for another streaking podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. He is an individual that is the head of mental performance for the Tampa Bay Rays. He's also done that with the Boston Red Sox and the Cleveland Browns. He has all kinds of accolades behind his name, and really he does a great job at helping individuals to figure out how to do things when they're under high stress, how to be high performers under high stress. He also hosts a daily podcast called Increase Your Impact, and each episode is only two to five minutes, and trust me, streakers, it is phenomenal. If you haven't signed up for it, you got to get it. He also is the author of two books, The Parent Pep Talks, uh, The 10 Must-Have Mental Skills Your Child Must Have to Succeed in school, Sports, School, and Life, and Me Mentally Tough Teens, Developing the Winning Mindset. Streakers, we are so excited to welcome to The Streaking Show, Mr. Justin Sua. Let's start streaking. What is streaking and why should you do it? Streaking is how you set up personal winning streaks. Look at who you want to be and what you need to do to become that person. This is streaking. I'm Jeff. And I'm Jamie. And we are streakers. Through 30 years of marriage and seven children, we have learned the power of consecutive consistency or streaking. To start streaking is simple. You just follow these three laws. Make it laughably simple, keep a record, and join the streaking community. Streaking is your hidden superpower. With it, you will consistently progress and grow in whatever area of life you want. In this podcast, Jeff and I will share all the fun, exciting, serious, solemn, wonderful parts of family, spiritual, professional, and personal life, and how streaking powers it all. So join us in the conversation, join the movement, and start streaking today. <laughs> That's awesome. Isn't that great? Anytime he does that, I just feel like there should be background music. Yeah. Uh, something yeah, that, music you know, little fireworks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're so excited to have you on this show. I had a curious question just a little bit about how did you, what was your journey to lead you to what you're doing right now with all of the mental health and like what's your background and what brought you to where you are now? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's it's really fun to look back to see where I currently am, because if you would have asked me a decade ago or even five years ago that if you would have said, hey, or told me you're going to be doing this in a decade or in five years, I would have been, what is, what is that? Like, there's no way I'm going to do that. So it is not something that I intentionally designed my life around when I was when I was young, I didn't even, even in, in, in school. So I went to BYU to play baseball and I got my degree in broadcast journalism. So when I first got there, I went with the intentions to play in the major leagues. I didn't know what I wanted to study. After a game, there's a gentleman named Vaisikahema who was standing by my car with his wife. And uh, he goes, hey, I've never seen a Samoan play baseball. It was fun to watch you. You should get into broadcast journalism. And I thought, Okay, let's do it. So I got into sports broadcasting and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the interview. I enjoyed the storytelling. I enjoyed the writing. I enjoyed I enjoyed broadcasting. And I got an internship in, at NBC Sports Los Angeles after my senior year. And the first day I realized very quickly, I hated it. I did not <laughs> want to do this. This is not for me. This is not how I want to, what my career was going to be. And so I thought, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do. So we moved back to Utah and I was a seminary teacher and teaching religious education and I loved it. I loved teaching and I loved the youth and I loved, I just really enjoyed it. And so I did it for five years and I wanted to get a master's degree in, in higher education to be a better teacher. 
I applied to a lot uh, to one degree and got declined for master's in, in higher education. And I thought, okay, that's not going to deter me. I'm going to still get a master's in something. And I noticed there's a course at the University of Utah called the Psychosocial Aspect of Sport. I called the dean and I said, what does that mean? And she goes, oh, it's the, it's, it's the science of optimiz- optimizing human performance. I said, what does that mean? <laughs> and she goes, oh, basically it's helping people be the, the science of helping people be the best version of themselves. I was like, there's a science to that? She's like, yeah, yeah the science of motivation, the science of focus, the science of arousal control and emotional regulation for people who perform at high levels under stress. And I said, sign me up. And ended up finding out really quickly that I had no prerequisites. My degree in broadcast journalism did not set me up for success to get a master's degree. And <laughs> my, my scores, my GRE, my nothing. And so I essentially begged to get in. And they took a huge chance on me. I was in academic probation right out the gate. And, uh, and I just told them, I, I promise you, like I'm going to give my best. and I'm going to do well. And they took a chance. I'm grateful they did. Got my master's in sports psychology. And right when I graduated, I said goodbye to teaching. We, had, we were at home with, I think we had three kids under four years old. And my wife, stay at home, stay at home wife, she loved it. And, um, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to leave my cushy job of, of, of $30,000 a year. And I'm going to go and I'm going <laughs> to go open up my own career in this field. So then I went around the, the, the what Pleasant Grove, Orem, Provo area, and I just went to try to work with a lot of teenagers and youth, wrote those two books while I was there. The military noticed what I was doing on social media. They brought me in to work with combat medics and military intelligence, military intelligence and wounded warriors, and was there for a couple of years in San Antonio and in a place called the IMG Academy. Didn't know who they were. They reached out. They said, hey, do you want to be the director of our mental conditioning department? So you oversee nine practitioners and 10,000 youth. And I said, yes, let's do it. And then from there, the Boston Red Sox reached out. They said, hey, we are looking for someone to help design our curriculum for major, major leaguers. I said, let's go do it. And then the Cleveland Browns reached out. They're like, hey, we see what you're doing. Can you come join us? And then the Tampa Bay Rays. And um, it's just been a lot of fun. So that's all of that in the past decade or so. But it was, um, yeah, 29, 30 years old is when I got my master's degree in this. Wow. And that's when I kind of uh, kind of said, okay, well, let's go try this out. How did each one of those, so each one of those steps that you took, how did people hear about you? Was it through social media? I mean, is that, because when did you start your podcast? Was that later? Or was that? Uh, my, the, the podcast was much later. Podcast okay. was a uh, podcast. So I started in 2009. I didn't start the podcast until 2015. Okay. And um, I think it was just a combination of word of mouth. And I use social media as a, as a teaching platform. So one of the things that I learned is when you are teaching, that's when you do the most learning. And I needed that feedback to say, okay, am I learning? Am I able to articulate this for the market to understand? And so I would read the journal articles. I would read very complex and learn complex things and uh, just theories and methodologies. And I'm like, okay, let me see how simple I can make it. Let me make a post about it. Let me do a podcast about it to, in simple terms. And people just started noticing and liking it. And they, I used 
social media as kind of my uh, my open public journal to see if it's landing with people. See if it landed or whatever it was. The jump from seminary teacher to <laughs> going, that had to be quite the jump. I mean, that was a leap of faith right there. It had to be a leap of well, faith. Well, even before that, from, from sports broadcast journalism to seminary teacher <laughs> to then I'll run my own company. <laughs> That's that's those are big leaps. Yeah, it was uh, it was really it was really interesting, and it was big leaps. And I think you look. I think I would look back to my parents, who are entrepreneurs. My father is a is an immigrant to the country from the island of Samoa. My mom, she uh, she didn't even graduate high school, and then she ended up being a vice president of a multi million dollar company. And so they both he played baseball. So I I witnessed my parents being go getters and embracing uncertainty and almost craving it. It's almost jumping when they got comfortable. It's like let's go and uh, let's go do something that maybe the odds are against us, but we'll we'll figure it out along the way. And I think I am not a I I, I love uncertainty. I love jumping into new complex and volatile and ambiguous situations. And I think that's something that's kind of wired in my DNA that I look back, I'm thinking, what was I thinking? I cannot believe we did that. But I, it was, it just felt right at the time. Was that, and so was your wife along for that ride too? I mean, I'm sure you guys had several conversations. That's what about I was that. thinking. I'm yeah. like, I yes. your wife. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. And she's been the number one, she's number, number one, uh, just the person to support her. And even though obviously you have, you have family members who think some of these ideas were terrible because it's like they're looking out for grandkids and their nephews are like oh what are you going to do with insurance and what about this and you have three kids in diapers and wait you're telling me you have no insurance and no paycheck week to week and wait what are you what's going on and so it's uh my and melissa my wife she's like let's go let's do it like I, we, we can do this and so it's been uh yeah we, she's been she's been incredible that's fantastic. That Just a little great. bit while we're on family. So you have how many children? Um, we have uh, three children, a 16, a 15, and a 14-year-old. That's right. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. And you were telling us a little bit about how they're involved in lots of things too and doing some non-traditional things as they're pursuing their talents and ambitions. And that's awesome. Right. Right. Yes. It's fun so, to see them flourish okay. and grow and, and do their thing as well. Yes. So at what point you wrote Parent Pep Talks? and an, another book for teens. At what point did you realize that you really loved working with the youth? There must have been some something that helped that, that transition from sports to I want to teach teenagers. Where, how did that happen? Yeah, I, I, I think I, I think it was organic. I think it was organic. I think I realized because I was a baseball coach and youngsters, I enjoyed mm -hmm. their fun. And then teaching seminary, I think I really, being a high school teacher and involved with teens, every day for five years and and teach them a topic that many of them feel forced to be at and they don't want to enjoy, they don't enjoy it i loved it to make it fun Come on, everyone loves the old testament and yeah Isaiah. right i mean that's that's exactly what every teenager <laughs> right, wants right, to study right. <laughs> and so it was it was a lot of fun to be able to because i remember thinking to myself i had some leaders and teachers and coaches who just for some reason they got it they made it fun yeah. and enjoyable but there was still a high standard of excellence and they just they didn't, it wasn't a party, but it was like, okay, I, it made me want to learn. I thought, you know what, let me, I want to do that. I enjoy it. And so uh, the reason I wrote Parent Pep Talks and the reason I wrote Mentally Tough Teams and the reason uh, the Increase Your Impact podcast came was because a lot, this industry, what I'm in, usually the people who hire professionals like myself are Olympic Olympians, C-suite executives at Fortune 500 companies or professional athletes. 
millions of dollars. They want the re- they're at the tip of the spear. And so they have resources to make them even better. They're taking to the next level. Now, what broke my heart at the time is parents reaching out and just, I didn't, I, I couldn't work with all of these parents and their kids. And the most important team is the family. Like it, it, it is the family. And so I was hearing parents saying things to their kids like, hey, relax or be confident or focus. And these are great. You hear parents say that all the time to kids, all the time, come on, lock in. But what parents were not doing is giving them evidence-based tools on how to do it. Great, great. You're telling your kid to relax. Have you taught them how to relax? Have you helped them understand the, the effects of stress and what it's doing to their body and how their brain works and giving them a tool that works for them? Chances are no. And I just kind of, so I started having sessions with parents and saying, all right, mom and dad, I'm not going to, kids, kids would be, parents would be like, oh, you need to work with my child to help them be motivated. Well, actually, mom and dad, I want to work with you to create an environment so that you can create a climate where your child motivates themselves. Oh, you need to help my son. He needs to be more of a more competitive, more tough. Well, dad, maybe it might, or mom, it might be you forcing this on them. And maybe they don't need that toughness. Maybe they just need to have fun. And just, and I was teaching these courses and I thought, you know what, let me just write a book uh, to have a manual for parents if they want to learn the same things that elite athletes are learning. And then let me do a free increase your impact podcast daily. Keep it short so that the moms and dads who cannot afford a mental performance coach, I could be your mental performance coach and you can go through all 1,700 and something episodes to learn everything that I am teaching these professional athletes, everything for free. And so that's the, that was the genesis behind it. That's fantastic. And what you just uh, enumerated and highlighted, illuminated, was your podcast is a streak. I mean, you've, you've been doing that now for what, three years? Is that is that how long? I've been doing it since, I or, believe, 15. 15. Oh, so, oh, so yeah, a lot longer. 15, seven yeah. years. Yeah, yeah seven yes, years. Yes. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yes. And in that, you know, there are gems of wisdom that come through that from your experiences with with the Rays, with uh, the Browns, with everyone. I mean, all of those gems come through in two to three minutes. Now, what was it when, when you got started on the podcast? So you mentioned a little bit of the genesis was I want to be able to do this for free. But podcasts at the time, I mean, back then they weren't they weren't like what you were what you decided to do. I mean, they were they were different at the time. And you said, you know what, I'm going to keep it short and simple and I'm going to do this. How how did you get to that place? So for me, I wanted to, anytime you start something, I was extremely busy. You want to be as frictionless as possible. And I know this as I was reading, I was reading articles. I knew I wanted to provide something, provide a service. Uh, and I thought, you know what? I'm doing this for free. I'm not trying to have advertisement. I'm not trying to get any money. It's literally just almost like an audio journal. Just, I'm not going to edit it. I'm not going to worry about my microphone. I'm not going to worry about a camera. I'm not going to worry about interviews. I'm not going to worry about tripping over myself. I'm not going to make it long. I'm just going to go just to just get in the rhythm and just eliminate friction and friction and not worry about what people think. And, oh, you sound like this, you're like, just go. And so I think that's really how it started. How can I make it as frictionless as I possibly can to be able to just get it out to whoever needs it? It's not... It's not fancy. It's not. Uh, it's. It's just. It's just for anyone who wants to listen. Is there? So I think that's the, that was how it started. Just how frictionless can we make it? And I thought, all right, it 
If an episode is two minutes long, it takes me two minutes and 30 seconds to do total. I have no notes. I have no planning. I just think about the day. I'm like, okay, what did I talk about today with an athlete? Uh, but I want to save confidentiality. I'm not going to name drop. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say it because players and athletes don't want me to go and share. And so let me make it as benign and as let me just pull out the principle. The principle. Okay, let me grab my yeah, let me grab my phone and let me just sit and let me just talk and boom, two minutes. Okay, great. And then post it. That's awesome. That is awesome because you're right. How many of us would get the chance to talk with you personally about all of the things and experiences you've had and how generous and abundant to be able to be willing to share that with people? I think that's great. So what, as I've been reading a couple of some of your articles, some of them are actually a little bit older, but I love your thoughts on consistency and how important consistency is. As you've come along, where do you feel like you kind of started to learn some of these principles of consistency and simplicity and exactly what you just said and how you started your podcast, recognizing that doing something just consistently and as simple as possible was where you're going to get the most benefit as you got started. Where did you really start to kind of learn those principles? At home as a little kid. I think, I think, I think I, I didn't realize I was learning it as, right. a, as a little kid, but, but just my parents uh, just really emphasizing practice, just work at it, just get better. And uh, as a, as a high school kid having, I was a, all state California third base, full rights scholarships, and having the chance to go to different universities and they kind of pick and choose uh, some great, great universities. But I look back and I wasn't the biggest, strongest, fastest. I, I wasn't actually. I was just, just consistent. Just I would have seven there at five in the morning and I would wake up at four and start hitting. And I would just start before every, every morning, every morning, just didn't need anyone to tell me what to do. And I'd come back and I'd just start doing other things. So seminar was over at six and I come home and then I start working out. And I just, that's all I knew. That's all I did because I saw my parents doing the same thing with their respective jobs. And, uh, and my sister did the same thing. And so it was just kind of ingrained in me, just, Hey, I just be consistent and you'll see, focus on the process and just let the results take care of themselves. And, and then as I got into the field of performance psychology, you start realizing the science of uh, you look compounding the com the, the combinatorial of, of the compounding effect of just doing a little every single day. Just be consistent. Don't get in the way of the compounding power of consistency. Just don't get in the way. Just keep going and keep. And if you do miss a day or if you miss a week or whatever, all right, don't beat up on yourself. Get back on it. Get Let's just on. keep going. And so that's something that I think I've I've learned it. I learned it without lear explicitly learning it as a kid. Then you understand the science by studying uh, just uh, even Anders Ericsson works, Anders Ericsson's work on the 10,000 hour deliberate practice. Mm -hmm. And then you see the elite athletes embracing the boredom of consistency. And then you experience it yourself and then teaching it to our kids. And so there's a lot, there's been a lot of inputs and substantial evidence and different aspects of my life that I've seen the benefits of it. Yeah, absolutely. One of the stories that we tell is Cal Ripken Jr.'s um, streak. Uh, we tell that quite a bit as far as, you know, 2,632 consecutive games in a row and just what he did mentally to be able to do that. And a lot of what in the research that we did is to what you what you speak about is the mon the mundane everyday practice inside and out. So as you're working with elite athletes and as you're working with what are what are some of the obstacles to that consistency that you help them overcome? <laughs> 
Yeah, so uh, I think we kind of we alluded to it first. A lot of people do not want to embrace the boredom of consistency. It's boring. It, it, it's really, really boring, and it's not supposed to be exciting and fun. It's it, the, the it's the quiet, boring. Those you if you see elite athletes do their routine, you'll look and you'll be like, this is not motivational. This is not. It's they're the quiet little tiny muscles that they work on all the time no one's around it's dark they're frustrated it's uh, they're they're working just try to get outside of their 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 expand their comfort zone so i think number one um what they do so well is they embrace the boredom of consistency number two deliberate practice meaning a lot of people want to do what's just kind of easy to them i just want to work on the things that i'm already good at well, where these elite athletes, they work on things they're not good at. It's, it's going to be hard and frustrating and it's going to be, it's going to require a lot of effort and there's a lot of, there's not a lot of fluency. So they struggle. And that's, that's another part. That's an obstacle that that's a reason a lot why, that's a reason why a lot of people aren't consistent is because they can't tolerate the difficulty level of getting a little bit better every single day. I think another reason people aren't consistent is because they are a little bit too rigid. They're too rigid. They, they are too rigid with their process. And so they have to do this at this time and this way and this, but what about when you travel or what about when it's snowing outside or what about this? And so these elite performers, they make sure that their routines, the thing that they're consistent around is very, it's fluid. They could, it could look different from different angles. It doesn't, have to be this way every single time they're loose they're easy and they can go um they can uh they could adapt to the environments and adapt another thing with streaking as well and consistency is is they're able to understand let's sometimes you have to be do it every single day but if you miss a day you can at least keep the week streak going okay i might have not done it every day but okay i'm doing it every week if you miss a week okay i've done it every single month and so that's that's another thing as well and another thing about consistency as well is, is automized behavior, automaticity. At the end of the day, you'll get to doing, somebody asked me all the time, they're like, oh, your podcast, how do you, how are you doing it? How do you have the ability to do that for so long? And I'm like, do, are you, and I ask, like, I'm not everyone, obviously it can sound mean, but I'll just say, are you motivated to brush your teeth? Like, is it motivating to you? Like, no, I just do it. I'd say, are you driven to brush your teeth? Are you, is it discipline? It's like, no. I was like, then why do you brush your teeth? You're like, I just do it. It's just kind of like, it's what you do. And I said, that's kind of, I have done the podcast for so long, for so many days. It takes no motivation, no discipline. It's just kind of what I do. I, I feel no, um, depletion of, of any effort because it is an automized behavior now. And so I think what people underestimate is when you do something and create those streaks, you can get it to a point to where it becomes a frozen habit where it just becomes something that you do. And then finally, I think these guys are really good. I mean, and women are really good at, at having self-compassion. Let's say you aren't able to do something or you get injured and you can no longer do something, um, having compassion on yourself. So, you know what? all right, I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to find a, something else to work on or, Hey, you know what? It's okay to not, it's okay to, to not do this thing for a day or a week or whatever. I'm, I'm to, to diminish my worth. I'm okay with that. I think sometimes we live in a world. It's like, don't break the streak. Don't break the streak. And it's like, you know what? There, there sometimes like, for example, this week, I'm not doing a podcast. Not, and people are like, Oh, you're not doing it. I'm like, Nope. 
and I feel zero pressure, zero pressure. I'm not, no, nah, I broke the streak or whatever. And I'm like, no, that's all right. I'll pick it up next week. And that's fine. And so I think um, that is another part about it as well, where it's like, I've, I've no, and sometimes I'll just break it on purpose. Just say, you know what? I don't want to be tied and feel like I'm controlled by the streak. No, I'm going to break it just to show that I, it doesn't have control over me. And just, I'm, I'm fine. I'm in control. I'm in control. It's not something I have to do. Yeah. Go ahead. I just love that because it's communicating that the purpose of why you're doing it is, is I'm doing this because it has a purpose. I'm putting it out there to benefit people. However, it's not there to rule my life. It's not there to, to, to dictate everything that I do all the time. And so right. it's, it's remembering the purpose of what you're doing. It was funny as you were first talking, the first thing that you're talking about, about uh, consistency and boredom and embracing that boredom. We have a daughter that does ballet and we were watching a documentary of Misty Copeland. And it was, she was taking, in the documentary, she was showing you her daily routine, her workout that she was doing. And as you watch the documentary, it was really fun because from the outside, it looked like she's just standing at the bar and she's just standing there. But she's explaining each muscle that she's thinking about as she's as she's working each specific muscle. But from the movement of what you're watching, she's barely moving. And after about three minutes, you start to see these little beads of sweat on her forehead. And that always has just been a really important visual for me to recognize that sometimes this hard work from the outside, for her, she was working something very specific and very boring because there was no hardly any movement to it from us watching her. But yet I really recognize, I'm like, this is where you get to when you're willing to just focus on even the smallest little muscle and what is that muscle doing and am I going to work that muscle today? So that was my visual as you were talking about this idea of embracing boredom and the patience that it takes. The other thing, I, I'm trying to remember how you said it, embracing the difficulty of getting better when it's basically imperceptible, like because you're doing so much consistently that 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 progress seems imperceptible. I don't know how you said that. I want to go back and listen to it because I loved it. I was going to write it down, <laughs> but I thought that's true. The difficulty isn't always in what you're doing as much as it is in accepting that what you're doing is going to have impact and to keep doing it. That can be. I hard. love, I love that you said that because I think a lot of people, they get discouraged because they, because a lot of times progress is invisible. A lot of times right. people are making progress and you're making strides, but you can't see it to the naked eye. And I think um, a common analogy we always use is the law of the bamboo tree. And it's one of my favorite stories where you take a bamboo seed for your audience who's not familiar with this and you put it in the ground. And if you water it appropriately for an entire year, give it time, sun, your wa appropriate water, you'll say you'll see zero growth, nothing. You stick with it. You keep doing it again. Year two, you'll see no growth. Year three, no growth. Year four, no growth. After all that work, you're seeing no growth. But if you continue to streak and stay consistent, that little seed grows up to 90 feet in the first six weeks of year five. Now, people wow. would say, oh, wow, it grew 90 feet in six weeks. It's like, no, below the surface, without you realizing it, this seed was building this deep networks, network of roots to prepare itself for the tremendous growth that was about to happen. I think a lot of people, they get discouraged and they stop streaks. They stop being consistent because 
They don't catch themselves winning. They don't see the, the invisible progress that they're making that is you can't see with the naked eye. And I think that's a huge principle is to catch yourself winning and even mark on the sheet of paper, okay, I, I, look at what I'm doing. That Those are wins. You might not see the results. That's why we always talk about focus on the process and let yeah. the results take care of themselves because uh, it, might it might be a while. There, there is a lag between the inputs and the outputs. We, we are complex adaptive systems, our bodies. And I think we want that we, we, we think that success is built, comes in a microwave, but no, success is, is made in a slow cooker, not a microwave. It's like, it's going, going to be a long time. That is so good. I love that analogy. Me too. You know, one of the other things that you mentioned that um, we've studied a lot about is what we refer to, and you referred to it as what we call most of the time streaks. And those streaks are, I'm doing it most of the time, meaning it's weekly or monthly. And there's sometimes where I, I have those streaks as compared to daily streaks. And the most of the time streaks are the ones that I'm going to do this three times a week and that's going to be great. What, what's interesting psychology wise is when you do a most of the time streak, it's actually 100% because you're doing it every week or every month. And it changes your psychology in this way that you are having successes. One of the, one of the things that we talk a lot about and that I, I, I have a little bit of an issue with is the whole idea of if you're not failing, you're not succeeding. And the reason I have an issue with that is because a lot of times we'll teach people that how to fail rather than how to succeed. And if, if I keep on failing at my goals, I'm learning how to fail rather than to succeed. Whereas if we switch that just a little bit and say, and I, and I was curious to your thoughts on this, and say, you've had everyday successes. And when you have everyday successes, you're teaching yourself how to succeed. Then when a failure comes, you have a success to fall back to rather than a failure to fall back to. Your thoughts, where, where, where do you go with that? I think I love, I like, I really like the, I could definitely see the context and the principle behind it. I think there's a lot of nuance to it. I think there, I, I don't know under what circumstance, like a specific example. Um, I could see examples where that would be definitely, absolutely 100% true. And I'm trying to think, I can't think off the top of my head. The question I would ask is under what conditions would it be good to, to uh, uh, where failure is a huge part of it? I think, and can it be both? Can, can it be both? Going back to what you go, I'm gonna go back a little bit and then forward. So a lot of times in our role, I love what you talk about the research and science. There are a lot of global principles that are said out there that don't respect the nuance of individual situations and the nuance of human performance and developments. And I think, and I'm every time I tweet something, I'm like, okay, under what conditions is this true? And then under what conditions is this not true? Because I think there are a lot of global principles set out there that I'm like, mm, not always. And mm -hmm. so I think everything is always has to have an asterisk next to it because it's like, okay, like that's great. Yes. But under this condition, so for example, we'll go to the most of the time streaks. So the research shows that that is indeed really good. Like you can, you can be stack wins on most of the time streaks. However, if you are trying to build a habit, the more gaps you have between iterations, it, it can, for some, create inertia. 
And you're like, uh, like, if you are trying to create a habit and you only do it three times a week or once a week, there's just a lot of gap in between there. You're less likely to do it in some cases. But, but if you're like, you know what? I'm going to start working out. I'm going to start by doing it every single day just to get my rhythm down every single day. And then once I, I automize it, then I can go some, some of the time, kind of like my podcast. I knew I had to do it every single day so that I can now I can do it most of the time, but I had to get the initial momentum going. So I think that's a great question to ask. It's like, and another thing as well is to collect data. I going to, to your point, if someone's listening to this and they're like, do I do it every day? Do I do it some of the time? Uh, do I seek for success or do I pursue failure? What I would say is always, I said, what does your personal data say? Go try, try it. Try once a week. Try every day and pay attention to your behavior. Notice, what does it do to you? Do you feel any stress? Do you feel angst? Does it inspire you? Does it, does it not? What does this do to you? And then we can kind of pull out some, some, some data. We can pull, we're able to pull out and say, oh, notice patterns. We always say before you, before you create a system, you need to understand the patterns and behavior of your current system. And so a lot of people are like, oh, how do I create how to, or patterns and streaks? I will always say, I don't know. What, how do you normally do it? What have you tried? And so let's go try it now. And so we understanding that human behavior is not binary. It is not mechanistic. It's more heuristic. It's more frameworks and it can change. And so we're like, hey, go try this. Go try this for one month. Let's do it three times a week. Come back and let's notice it. Was it hard? Okay, now for this month, we're going to do it. We're going to do it every day, just for 30 days, every day. Which one did you like? What were the, what was good here? What was good there? Just to kind of create a, a framework for them. But no, I could totally see what you're saying about about failure. Um, I think, and I, I wonder, could it be both? I, I think it could yeah. be both. And I'm trying to think off the top of my head, under what conditions could it be both? Under what conditions is one worse than the other? Right. What? Because what I think about, and I, I love where where you are talking about, it is human behavior is, is so dynamic and so many variables and so many different things and looking at it and saying, what is true and in what conditions is that true? One of the areas that I think about as far as success, and it has a lot to do with what we've been talking about as far as inputs. That's what I was going to say. You too. can have success in inputs. And if you start to judge yourself by the accomplishments that you haven't achieved, then all of a sudden you lose what all those, if you haven't had the inputs, you lose all of that momentum and that, and that steam of moving forward. Whereas if you have the consistent inputs, when you fail at the accomplishment, you have the success of the input to fall back to. And you also have the recognition that because if you're putting those inputs in, you may misinterpret your failure as that you're not that you're not doing the right thing, whereas in actuality, it just needs to take a little bit of time to keep doing what you're doing. So that's what I was thinking as you were talking, as you asked your question, I thought really it's a, it's a refocus on recognizing the success of the inputs, not always putting that measurement on the output. The success of the output. The success of the output. And so. You remind me of, of the research on decision-making and what yep. a lot of elite decision-makers talk about is separating the results from the decision. Mm -hmm. So that is not, when you ask a group of people, what was one of the best decisions that you've made in your life? The great majority of people are going to talk about a decision that turned out well. 
because we naturally tend to say, oh, a good outcome meant it was a good decision. And that's not always the case. A lot of times you can make a great decision, but it could be in bad outcome. Mm-hmm. And not to conflate the two, not to mix the two up. I, a simple conver- a simple example is, let's say you run a red light. You decide to run a red light and you pass through the intersection unscathed. Like you just, nothing happens. That does not mean it was a good decision. Just, exactly. because, you made, uh, just because you had a good results, that was a terrible decision. It was right. dumb. It was dumb luck. But let's say you decide to go through an intersection with a green light. You made a decision to go through and you get clipped. You get clipped. It was a green light. That doesn't mean it was a bad decision to to go through a green light. It was just dumb luck. Someone ran a red light, completely out of your control. And what I hear what you two are saying is you are you are saying the very same thing, which I agree with 100%. You are saying just focusing on what you can control, your inputs. Okay, I'm going to do the input. And just because People always say hard work is, means you're going to be successful. Work hard and you'll be successful. Not always. I can give you a million stories of people who work really, really, really hard and do not get the result they are looking for. They mm-hmm. don't win the game. They don't win the championship. They don't get the promotion yet. Uh, they don't get that A on the test. That they work really hard. They don't get accepted to the job or that school or whatever. It's heartbreaking. That doesn't mean that the hard work, like, oh, I didn't work hard enough. No, you might have done exactly what. It just, they're looking for this, or they did this, or just the result didn't line up. And that doesn't mean all your work was bad. You didn't make a bad decision. All those streaks, all those, that hard work, all that input wasn't bad. So we can't mix the results, conflate the results and the process. I love what you say. Stack those wins that you can control, those the inputs, and then let the outputs take care of itself. Yeah. I agree I, with that. Yeah, well, that's and I, and I appreciate and one of the things that as we do reading on what you have, you have a lot of that in all of your psychology and everything else that you're teaching. And as, as I look at it, so one of the one other little thing that's interesting, we talk a lot about the difference between a streak and a habit and we define them differently. And I want to get your thoughts on this. We define a habit as, to your point, anything that you do automatically and almost almost all the time it has to do with a motor skill of some sort. So I'll give you an example. So if I want to be a writer, then I'm going to use a type, and let's just say I use a typewriter to do that. Over time, I'll develop the habit of typing where I won't think about what fingers hit what keys. But I'll have a streak to always write at least one sentence every day. Now, when I, that's a decision that I'm going to make every day. It's a, it's a small decision. It's laughably simple. And so it becomes easy to do. But I never think about anymore where my fingers are hitting the keyboard because if I had to, that would slow me way down. I need to make that into a motor skill that is repetitive Whereas the actual decision, the streak that I call the streak of writing at least one sentence every day, that will never become automatic. In fact, it will become easier. And this is what I look at with your podcast. It becomes easier through time because you've built what I call the consecutive muscle. And when you build your consecutive muscle, it's a muscle that people usually don't work. That consecutive muscle starts to take over. And like you with the podcast and other people that we've seen, now my consecutive muscle is to the point where I don't, where, where I'm not struggling to make the decision anymore, 
But if at any point, and this is to your to your um, example, you can stop that and say, you know what, I'm not going to do my podcast this week, and that decision comes in. What and you can start that up again. What's interesting is the habit or the automacy of typing on the keyboard. It can fade a little bit, but if you practice it again through time, all those motor skills will come back and you'll be able to do it. So that's what we look at kind of the difference between the two is one is underlying where it helps its maintenance, the habit, whereas the other, the streak has to do with anything that has to go with growth. Your your thoughts, what's, I, I'm just curious. No, I like that. No, no, I, I really like that. And I think in addition to motor behavior, I think it could also be cognitive as well. I think we yes. have- when, 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 when you get cut off on the street, we have certain habits. We have certain ways that we responded. And some, however you respond, a lot of times, the more you do something, the more likely you are to do it again. Uh, just neurons that fire together, wire together. Just that certain behavioral habits, certain cognitive habits, certain way we think. And it can happen so fast that we're not even perceptive to it. We don't even realize we do it. And I think what you're describing, I love what you're describing, but also we might be, we could fall in. It also, what I love about habits and streaks is it's agnostic to good or bad. I think all of us have bad habits as well and bad streaks as well. And where some of them are just flying under the radar that we're not even aware of that we have to bring awareness and conscious awareness to and say, whoa, I need to unfreeze that habit that I've, I've been born with. Maybe I saw it growing up and I need to change my, my perception of it. But I really do like the, the distinction between habits, how you view habits and how you view uh, streaks. Because yeah. yeah, I believe that streaks, and I, and I think, because uh, trying to think like, because there could be streaks, Cause I'm thinking about sport. I always go back to my sport. Right. So in, in your, in your example, in your, in your experience, do you think someone could be experiencing a streak and not be aware of it? I think that, so if they're not, go ahead, what were you going to say? I think the the point of, so when we started looking at streaking, the whole point of it was the, the component of intentionality, that this is something that I intentionally want to be a part of my life. And I think we, rejected a little bit of the automacy in the sense that because for me personally, I had things that I had done enough times that I wanted to be automatic, that I would do them without thinking about it, but I would have, but, but I wouldn't. And so I needed something that I was like, no, I need this to be something that I do show a level of intentionality to all the time that I, and, and it's like, I, like you said, it's a little bit of a nuance, but for me, that nuance came in the idea that that I wouldn't have to show any level of intentionality. If I did it enough times, it would just be there and I could move on to other stuff and not think about this thing. And I don't know in my experience that I've had that happen. As I get things going and as I do it more often, the level of effort that I put into doing it or the ability to be able to remember to do it is there more often, but I still feel like I have to show a little bit of intentionality. I still have to, at some place, make that decision where I'm like, okay, I'm still going to do this. And that to me is why I think we've so much kind of taken on this idea of habit because it gives you this perception that if I just do it enough times, I won't have to think about it and it'll just be a part of my life. And that feeling of if I, if I do it enough, then I can move on to other stuff. And I feel like that hasn't been my personal experience. 
I've had to show that level of intentionality. Yeah. Here, here's a, an example. I think of what you're, what I think you're talking about, Justin, and what I see is what um, we call the theory of displacement. So there are a lot of less valuable things that I do in my life, like, for example, binge watch a television show over you know s- six days. It's probably not the most valuable thing that I could do over six days. And what I do with streaking is I displace less valuable activities with intentional activities that I'm going to decide to do. So I will, for example, a streak of read at least one paragraph in a nonfiction book and write at least one sentence or write at least one sentence in my journal and keep track that I did those. And then if I want to add in some less valuable things like binge watch my favorite television show, I can do that. But I did my level of intentionality first. And what happens through time is it displaces the less valuable activities that I've had in there. And I think that's what you're referring to is it's like you can have things that are less valuable in your life. And there there is some level of intentionality because I'm choosing to watch the television show or I'm choosing to do the particular thing. And if I look at it and say, well, but who I want to be is in your case, you know, a professional athlete, uh, an elite athlete, I'm going to do these streaks first. And then if I have the time, energy, or focus, I may do some of these other less valuable activities. So you've essentially displaced less valuable activities with the, va- with the valuable activities that are going to help you become who you want to be. Mm. I, I really like what both of you are saying. And I think, I think, First, uh, kind of going along, um, going along with what um, I can't remember who was Jamie. talking about this. Uh, yeah, I can't remember who. I don't know. I don't know which one of you are talking about. This. We're kind of both the um, same. So <laughs> no, this, this is so good. But one of the things that really resonated with me is I think so. In my world, in professional sport, decision you, they have to make high speed decisions where like you're not even really making a decision, and so the, well, that's why all those tiny little moves to the point to where. Like, you're not even thinking like you're not, a, you have, right. you they have, have automized to be it. Exactly. They have to be exactly. It has to be so automatic where you're not even deciding to do this because you have less than half of a second to make that decision. Right. And so that practice, the automaticity comes in so much towards like, okay, like I need to train so well to where this is my default. Like I'm not even deciding that this is so I think that's where it is as well. And I think even the word, even the language that we use, like, I think that's where I'm getting tripped up is streaks and habits. Cause we don't use that vernacular. Mm-hmm. We talk about systems and processes, right? We are okay. all about building systems. Okay. What is your system? We are inputs and outputs systems, build a system. We always say, wherever you see consistency, a system is in place. And so if you build the system and you take all these things into consideration, the output would be a streak. The output would be habits. And I think that's where I'm getting tripped up in this conversation. I'm like, okay, and I'm, I'm having professional athletes and then, but yeah, I totally see what you're both saying. And so I think that's where I'm getting, uh, that's where I'm getting tripped up. Yeah. See, and, and, and definition of terms is the beginning of wisdom, according to Aristotle. And that's, that's, that's what, what I love about what you just said is streaking is a system. Mm-hmm. That's that's the thing about it is it, it is a system and a process. And that's what I see in everything that you're doing and teaching 
is this system and process, which is, hey, be intentional about what you do so that, so for example, with professional athletes, I, I remember reading about uh, Tony Dungy and he was, you know, in uh, The Power of Habits. He's talking about how he was training his linemen that when you hear the snap of the ball, it's it's immediate. It's 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 a reaction rather than a thinking decision. Whereas before that reaction ever happened, that's where the streak happens is we're going to practice this every single time. We're going to make a deliberate decision, deliberate practice to practice this every single time so that in the high performance intense moment, you don't think about it anymore. I know that you know when it when there's a certain setup in the infield, I'm going to go this is going to be a double play. Second base, first base. I mean, you just don't even think about where you're going to throw the ball because you've practiced it so many times and the system, the decision beforehand was that we're going to make it a streak to deliberately practice this, you know, this many times a week or this many times a day or every single day, so forth and so on. So it's, it is, and like you said, it's the nuance of language that's so great to be able to talk about it. I really love what you said, though, that wherever you find consistency, there's a system in place and, and recognizing that that system. So you said you work on systems and processes. Is that right? That Correct. is, I like that. I like yeah, that a lot. That's really cool. Thank you. So in, we're, we're ending with time here. Man, I'd love to keep going with you. I this know. has been so invigorating. <laughs> Hopefully you found it invigorating as well. Yeah, no, this has been great. Um, in, in just the last moments here, as far as in your career, in your experience, um, and I want to relate this back to family. So how do you as a dad apply the principles that you teach elite athletes at home? And do the kids accept that? Or are they like, dad? Quit, quit psychoanalyzing me here. How, how does that work? <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think for us, and I always, I remember when I wrote the book, Parent Pep Talks, I told our pair, I told our publisher, I am not writing this book. Like I, I told them, like I had to be like, she twisted my arm to write it because I said, I do not want to be the parent expert. Like I do, I not that I don't want to say because there are great parent experts out there, but I'm like, who am I to tell people how to like raise their kids? Like, who is anybody? Like, we don't know what we're doing. Like, nobody knows. <laughs> and right. so we're just trying to figure it out. And everyone has their unique set of, of of household norms and personalities, and our kids are different. Every child is so different. And so um, in our home, we're fumbling and bumbling along. And so we um, we my wife and I are very deliberate with with systems that we have created and. And with our standards and our norms, and my wife has a, a chronic severe health issues, and I'm always traveling, and and we have a daughter who's in uh, a very high level actor, been with The Rock in his movies, and now at Disney, and my son who's 16 and traveling and working with it, Justin Timberlake and Drake, and and and, and so we have, and so we, this is new territory for us, but I think the streak and the system we've created, we're trying to create a, a place of normalcy for, because all of our industries are very, very unique, very different. It's easy to lose foot on what's real. It's easy to lose yourself on, on the goals of other people, whether it be fame and fortune and status. And that doesn't matter to us. What matters is just be a good person and, and love people and be humble and be kind and and love your family and and so we do we are as as much as we possibly can we are clinging on to family fundamentals and prayers and church on sundays and family dinners to the extent we potentially can and 
and being open and sharing our failures. We always talk about, hey, this is what I struggle with today. And this is what we're going on. Like always, always, always. When our kids were younger, without fail, talk about streaking, we would ask them questions, the same three questions every single day. And we, I don't know when we stopped doing it, but uh, uh, at least a decade, at least a decade straight, as long as they were able to talk. Three questions when we would check them in at night, every single day, every night. What was the best part about today? What did you learn today? What are you going to be, be better, do better tomorrow? Every single night. And we didn't explore it. It was short. It was quick. We got silly answers. We didn't, we didn't question their answers. We didn't, uh, we didn't, we, we didn't ask deeper. We just, we wanted them to get used to ask, answering those questions. What was the best part about today? What did I learn? And what am I going to do better tomorrow? Since they were three, four, like little, little kids. And I think our kids were taught, they talk about it. They're like, Hey, remember when you used to ask us those questions? And <laughs> it was really neat. And we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't, we didn't, we, it was just as we, we didn't expect an outcome. It was just something silly and something we're like, Oh, let's just keep doing it. It was organic. It was accidental, but we didn't realize the power um, that it produced in the output. It was really neat. The kids were really excited to share the good stuff that was happening, what they learned. And so um, I would like to think that it it helped later on, but I have no evidence to support that. It would I'd just be making it up. Um, but we do are we we try to be very deliberate about the environment we create here. Justin, the conversation that we've had with you is inspiring to us, and thank you so much for all you do to not only promote all the goodness in the world, but also to help those elite athletes and everyone else uh, with your podcast. Streakers, if you want to listen to Justin's podcast, you can do that anywhere podcasts are found. And it's, like we said, that two to five minutes of increase your impact. You want someone that's a coach to elite athletes for to give you a little bit of advice and a little bit of information on how to increase your impact, you can do that. Again, it's two to five minutes. Justin Sua, you can listen to him there. You can also follow him on Instagram. He's got his Instagram account as well as, I think you've got your Twitter account out there uh, as well in any one of those places. Anywhere else you'd have people uh, contact you or follow you, Justin? No, that's it. Thank you. You bet. Streakers, if you'd like to reach Jamie or I, you could do that. Uh, direct, directly email us at Jeffrey, J-F-F-E-R-Y at streakingmastery.com or J-A-M-I at streakingmastery.com. You're also welcome to buy the book at uh, Barnes & Noble, Amazon. It's called Streaking, the Conscious Consistent Action uh, that will create life-changing results. And you can also, most significantly, download the Streaking app, which is the social media platform for self-improvement. You want to see all kinds of people and their streaks and what they're doing to improve their lives, go to the go to the streak uh, go to the Apple App Store or to Google Play and download the streaking app. Well, until we talk again next time, keep streaking. <laughs>